T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. On a tower number two on a hump day, home and home. We are a radio.com sports original radio.com. We are brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. Follow us at RDC home and home. Follow me at Dave Briggs TV and Ross Tucker at Ross Tucker NFL. Tell your friends, download the free app, check us out, subscribe on YouTube. Five minutes on on iTunes, five minutes of commercials every hour. You cannot beat that. Most of the other shows doing like 20 minutes per hour. Coming up in 20 minutes, we're going to talk to uh, an author who wrote a book uh, called The Power of Sports, Media, and Spectacle in the American Culture. He wrote for the Washington Post on this big showdown between the NBA and China. He says the NBA doesn't care about uh, doing good, about being woke, about uh, human rights. It only cares about money. I disagree with Mr. Michael Serrazio. We'll talk to him in 20 minutes. But Ross Tucker, we start with this question. The Philadelphia Flyers, the first team in professional sports to install a rage room at their arena for 35 bucks or 60 for two. You can go break a bunch of shit. Flat screens, glasses, guitars, lamps. You are a rageaholic at times. Now, you're not a rageaholic, but you have some rage in there. Would you pay 35 bucks at your favorite professional sports venue to break stuff? Yeah, I think I probably would. I think this is a great idea. I love the idea of taking a sledgehammer or a baseball bat or a hockey stick and smashing stuff. I think it's very healthy. To be able to get that that <laughs> inner rage or fire out of you, I just don't understand the business model. Like these must not be very high end TVs if everybody can go in there and just smash all this stuff for thirty five bucks. Like how how are they making money there? I mean, I'm sure they're old TVs, but I don't know. I, I I'm 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 interested in the business model. Like, do you go in there is it already smashed, or do you get a brand new oh. TV each time? I don't understand the business model either. We've only seen the one video from Katie Nolan over there at ESPN that went in there and broke brand new stuff along with the uh, crazy looking Flyers mascot and everything was brand new. I mean, yeah, 35 bucks to be able to break even an old recycled flat screen seems like a losing equation, but it's good for press. My question is, what other organizations, Philly, Philly is just perfect for this with all the rage in Philadelphia. But what other organizations would you say their fan bases have a lot of rage right now to take out? Cleveland Browns, after the way they've started this game. But I think it takes longer to build that up. Top organization that needs a rage room. You know what? I think we actually hinted on it and talked about it earlier in the show. I think Redskins. I think uh, New York Knicks. I think the frustrations that have boiled over among those fan bases, I think they absolutely could use some rage rooms at FedEx Field and MSG. I think there's no question that people are just so frustrated because there's a hopeless feeling and a helpless feeling when the belief is that the issue really comes from ownership. And I think that, as much as anything else, is why they would love a rage room and be able to get fired up about it. Man, the millennials have chimed in here big time. Dylan Burns, he's a fan of the Knicks, Mets, and Dolphins. He just needs a rage room at home. I'm glad he doesn't start breaking up everything at home. Yeah, the the Knicks and the Redskins are the two teams that came to mind. The Dolphins add South Florida, man. You can't be mad. Marlins fan, you can be angry, but ultimately – You live in South Florida, so I don't think you have the rage down there. Baltimore, well, the Orioles fans, you could argue they could use a a rage room. This is a really interesting – I think Ross Tucker and I need to take a field trip up there to a Flyers game and get in that rage room. All right, so next week comes the 
XFL Draft. And we've learned something about the players that are going to play for the XFL, like Landry Jones, Connor Cook, quarterbacks looking at another shot. Their NFL careers did not work out. For the first time, we're seeing something different happen. We're seeing a former all-Big 12 safety at West Virginia. That was a season ago. He has declared for the XFL draft uh, coming up here next week, but he's not playing this season because of academic fraud. So this guy says, well, you know what? Instead of going through the what some people call the underwear Olympics, I'm going to go ahead and play in the XFL, and that's the way I'm going to get the attention of NFL scouts. His name is Kenny Robinson Jr., highly rated defensive back after his first season. But then the academic fraud loses this season. Is this the right model, Ross, for guys that have academic issues? Maybe they'll lure a Trevor Lawrence-type guy after a season. Or would, would they be better off just going through the combine after three years? This guy could, uh, down the road, just go to the combine. Is XFL the right path? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of different things to say here. And one is that, in my mind, there's a distinction between a guy who no longer has college – well, forget the college eligibility part of it. Yeah, There's a guy that's eligible for the NFL draft. So my understanding is – correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. He would be eligible for the NFL draft after right. this year. I can look it up. I think he's three yes. years removed from high school. Yes, he would be eligible. He just wants to get that tape in the XFL rather than going to combine some pro days. Yeah, that that is interesting to me that that's why he's choosing to do it um, because you would think he would just go pro in the NFL and yeah. go through that process. I don't really understand this. My When I initially saw it, I thought perhaps Kenny – wasn't eligible for the NFL draft yet and was like a Trevor Lawrence situation where he had played two years and had to sit out another year, but he wanted to go. Evidently, that's not the case. So that that that's a little bit different to me. I don't really understand this. I don't, I don't really understand why he's going this route rather than the NFL route, I do think it's interesting and a worthwhile conversation. Like, let's say he had an awesome freshman year, and right. then his sophomore year, he was academically ineligible, and then even though he wasn't eligible yet for the NFL draft, then he went right to the XFL. That, to me, is a little bit more interesting. I would agree. I don't think this is the right decision for a guy. I've talked about how I feel about a league run by Vince McMahon. If you haven't read about how he treats his wrestlers with health care, read a few articles or just watch a John Oliver segment. You'll understand what I'm talking about. I don't think this makes a whole lot of sense. I also don't think it opens the floodgates. There will be a handful of players like this that get into some trouble at school and have nowhere else to turn. I'll be curious if there's a guy out of high school that is so supremely talented that's ready to play professional football, can't go to the NFL and doesn't feel like trying to make grades or going through that charade of college, that will be interesting to me. The first type of straight from high school to the XFL player. Do you see that coming? Oliver Luck, by the way, who is the commissioner, he says we have no plans to try and poach college football players. Yeah, that's a little bit surprising to me, but maybe they won't need to try and poach them. You know, maybe people... Look, there might be a chance, Dave, where people see what Kenny Robinson's doing and they don't even realize that he would be eligible for the 2020 NFL draft. Again, I, I'm confused as to why Kenny's doing this. I mean, he was first team all Big 12 last year in 2018. Now, 2019 would be his junior year. So he's three years removed from high school. So he can enter the NFL draft just like anybody else. He can forego his two years of remaining eligibility and go to the NFL draft. This is a head scratcher for me. I don't know who got in his ear and talked to him about this. Maybe after sitting out the whole year with academic ineligibility, he's just ready to start getting some money now or whenever XFL guys start getting money. 
what would be more interesting to me, and I said this earlier, but if he were all Big 12 as a freshman, and he was, he was honorable mention, or if this were a year from now and the XFL was already going on and he had left after, like after last season, if he had been academically eligible in January mm-hmm. and he went right to the XFL, then that would really be interesting. And I wonder, Dave, yeah. how many guys, young college guys, won't even know that he had he could go to the NFL draft. And they'll just start to think, oh, damn, Kenny left and went right and started getting paid in the XFL. Maybe I should do that. I'm very curious for guys, do they choose the transfer portal, Dave, or do they take their chance with trying to make the XFL and trying to get some money rather than the transfer portal? Because there's 20 kids going to the transfer portal every week, it seems like. Yeah, I don't think we're going to know much until we see how this league plays out and if we feel like if it's going to be successful. They begin play in February. Is it going to be a really violent game? Are injuries going to be even increased from what we're seeing in the NFL? And it's hard to imagine that given what happened last weekend with Mason Rudolph and company. Uh, So I think guys are going to take a wait-and-see approach. Watch what happens when this league. Are guys getting carted off on regular basis? I hope not. That is just my fear. They're going to want to sell tickets and get ratings, and how else are they going to accomplish that other than allowing it to be a more violent game? If Jim Harbaugh, Michigan coach, had his way, well, then guys could just simply go pro after their freshman season in college or their sophomore season. Now, that's his answer to the California Fair Pay to Play Act. He says, uh, Jim Harbaugh, again, who's coaching the NFL and has long coached in college, this is something I think would be beneficial and fair to everybody, a good resolution to the conversation we're having, that conversation being about paying athletes for their image, name, and likeness. I would agree that this is a good idea. But this is far from a resolution, Ross, as per paying players for name, image, or likeness. This is really just almost unrelated. I see that Harbaugh wants to take care of that issue, but it really doesn't, does it? No, I don't think it does. I also have no idea how the practicality of this would work in Jim Harbaugh's mind, where these guys all enter the NFL draft every year. And then they don't get drafted, so then they come back to school. What what if they want to sign as an undrafted free agent? I guess at, at that point, it's up to them whether they do it. And what if they're a seventh-round pick? What if they thought they'd go in the second or third round, they're a seventh-round pick? Can they go back then? Or does it have to be if they – I mean, if you're the last pick in the draft, you have to go. But if you're not the last pick in the draft, you can go back to college. I, th- there's a lot of – uh, T's that would need to be crossed and I's dotted and there'd be a lot that would need to be figured out in the Harbaugh model. I do understand. I, I do agree with his basic point though, I guess, which is that you should be able to go pro anytime. I've always said that. I think that there are certain guys that are ready to go earlier and sooner than others and they should have that opportunity. And I don't think it's their fault if other people make poor decisions and leave school to go to the NFL draft before they're ready. Mm -hmm. I think how they would put this into practice with Harbaugh is the issue, but that still doesn't really give compensation to the players while they're still in college or have anything to do with schools profiting off of the name and likeness and image of players rather than the players themselves. So to me, it's kind of a, a weird solution if that's what he thought it was. Yeah, I think what this might be is sort of a, a, a compromise. Um, it is certainly not allowing for players, and I and we both think that they should profit from their image, name, or likeness. Now, I guess maybe what Harbaugh is saying is if the NCAA can't get their shit together and get on board by 2023 with some type of regulation and way to handle the image, name, or likeness, well, this does at least allow the athletes some power, some control over their future so it is perhaps a happy medium and, and and certainly would solve the situation for guys like Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. But we don't frankly even know that Trevor Lawrence was that desperate to commit to the NFL. Uh, one other coach weighing in on this, arguably, well, my bias reflected here, the best coach in all of college, 
Uh, Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K at Duke, he supports the California Fair Pay to Play Act. He said it's a sign of the times that we in college athletics must continually adapt, albeit in a sensible manner. We're just playing catch up after years of stagnant rules. He added, um, this puts best interest, the players, best interest at the forefront. But we also have a firm plan for implementation at the national level, which they do not. How influential would those words of Mike Krzyzewski be the most influential coach in college basketball, Ross? I think pretty influential. I mean, I, I, I think people were looking for Coach K to weigh in on it, and he mm-hmm. finally did. Um, you know, he obviously coached Jay Billis, who now people are saying maybe Jay Billis should be the uh, commissioner of the NCAA, the executive director of the NCAA, the president, instead of Mark Emmert, which is kind of funny. I don't think that would happen, but it's kind of funny to imagine. Really, though, Dave, what are you going to say if you're in Coach K's position, right? I mean, you're going to come speak out against it? I don't think that's a real good look when it looks like the train's going down the tracks on this one and you're still trying to get players. I would agree, but there have been several high-profile coaches in all sports that have spoken out against the concept of players getting paid and have said, well, they get educations that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. I certainly do applaud Mike Krzyzewski. I make no no bones about the fact I think he is a, a wonderful teacher and a coach. Some would argue, well, Mike Krzyzewski may, in the back of his mind, be already aware that some of the guys that have come through his program we're already getting paid. Now, again, I have stated before, I don't think there's ever been any sign to Mike Krzyzewski that he's literally seeing checks being being made out, watching players getting paid, hearing from boosters that they've paid them, or Nike uh, bagmen in the case of the Adidas guy that worked through uh, the University of Kansas. So, But is he aware that there's probably some shenanigans going on? Yeah, so I applaud him that for at least moving the ball forward a little bit, and hopefully the NCAA listens up. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, I've always wondered how you can become a bag man. I, I would love to be a bag man. I think that'd be a hilarious job. <laughs> or or maybe maybe I need to hire my own bag man. I should go to ZipRecruiter. I could post the job. I'd get qualified candidates back in minutes. I'm sure there'd be a lot of people, kind of like Dylan Miskowitz, when he needed to hire a director of coffee, for his organic coffee company. He was having trouble finding qualified applicants, so he switched to ZipRecruiter. They don't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's technology, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. That's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's really no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address ziprecruiter.com slash enter that's ziprecruiter.com slash e-n-t-e-r ziprecruiter.com slash enter ziprecruiter the smartest way to hire daryl morey does not need to upload his resume just yet to ziprecruiter he's doing just fine he got supported by the commissioner of the nba daryl morey the general manager of the houston rockets tweeted his support for the hong kong protesters and started a global battle between the NBA and China. It is encompassing geopolitics in the world's two biggest economies. Adam Silver weighing in yesterday, the commissioner of the NBA, defending Daryl Morey's right to freedom of speech and expression. Listen. ...held values of the NBA are to support freedom of expression, and certainly freedom of expression by members of the NBA community. And in this case, Daryl Morey, as the general manager of the Houston Rockets, enjoys that right as one of our employees. Um, what, what I also try to suggest is I understand that there are consequences from that exercise 
of, of in essence, his freedom of speech. And, you know, we, we will have to live with those consequences. It's my hope that for our Chinese fans and our partners in China, they will see those remarks in the context of now a three-decade, if not longer, relationship. We are not apologizing for Daryl exercising his freedom of expression. I regret, again, having communicated directly with many friends in China that so many people are upset, including millions and millions of our fans. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, we come with basketball as an opportunity to sell dreams, sell hopes, that to, to you know, increasingly focus on physical fitness, um, mental health, and to the extent that we are causing disruption in people's lives and that we are ca causing disharmony, um, that's something I regret. And so I, I, I think, as I said earlier, I don't think it's inconsistent to both be apologetic that that was the outcome of that speech, but at the same time, support Daryl's right, you know, to, to, to his freedom of expression. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, Nick Walenda, walking the tightrope of global economies, his sport, and another country over the Grand Canyon. Well done. Let's talk about this with Michael Serrazio, the author of The Power of Sports, Media and Spectacle in American Culture. He's an associate professor at Boston College and a columnist for The Washington Post. Michael, good to see you. It's Dave Briggs. It is Ross Tucker. Can you give us a little context on why one tweet that was deleted and that could not be seen by the citizens of China caused this global uproar? Yeah, I think that... Uh... I can't imagine that Daryl Morey himself would have expected that there would have been this reaction uh, to that tweet that happened on Friday evening. Uh, so a uh, quick backstory, of course, there's been uh, unrest in Hong Kong throughout the summer uh, relating to um, a judicial extradition bill there and uh, protests uh, in terms of the current leadership there. Um, Daryl Morey on Friday night winds up tweeting uh, to the effect of, uh, you know, we stand with Hong Kong. We fight for freedom there. Uh, and this obviously kicked off uh, a tremendous geopolitical spark. Um, there was immediate reaction from uh, the Chinese government. There was immediate reaction from the Chinese Basketball Association, some other forms of Chinese media and uh, commercial sponsors there that have tried to distance themselves from the NBA. So um, yeah, it's been, and then of course, uh, the subsequent uh, reaction to that, um, the Rockets ownership, Tillman Fertitta could not have been happy about that. Um, rumors had it that he contemplated uh, even that this could have been even a fireable offense for uh, Daryl Morey. Uh, the NBA initially tried to walk back some of their association with Morey uh, subsequently because of the backlash in the U.S. with politicians uh, taking up the cause of uh, Morey's political speech. Uh, the NBA yesterday, Silver, uh, tried to sort of walk it back further. So a tremendous firestorm in terms of uh, geopolitics, social media uh, and sports business. Yeah, so, Michael, uh, I think from reading your story that you and I see eye to eye on this one and that Dave Briggs is wrong as usual. So I'm probably going to let Dave ask most of the questions or make most of the points so you can slice and dice them. Uh, because it, to me, it's like the NBA speaks up on behalf of Almost every social issue, they love touting that they're the most woke sports league, that it's about principles, it's about human rights. Unless we're going to lose a shitload of money in China, then delete the tweet. Regrettable. Maybe he's fired. Doesn't speak for my organization. Harden, get out here. Tell him how much we love China. We love every. Harden's quote was literally, I love everything about China. That was literally what he said. I love China. I love everything about China. Michael, don't you think this is a little bit hypocritical? Actually, I take that back. Don't you think this is a lot of bit hypocritical from the NBA? It's only hypocritical if you assume that a business organization does not put its financial bottom line first and foremost. I think the delusion that we have 
is in believing that sports businesses or any commercial brand uh, would put ethics and ideals above financial calculations. To me, when the NBA has postured as woke around domestic political issues, that has been strategic because they know that that will play well and sell well to their domestic audience here. In terms of distancing themselves from Daryl Morey's tweet, that is also strategic because they realize that China not only brings in a couple of billion dollars at this point in terms of revenues, but for the future, uh, it is by far the most important market going forward. So it's also a business calculation uh, to, to, to sort of keep uh, out of political issues there. So um, I actually don't think it's hypocritical in any way. I think it's entirely consistent. I think that, again, the delusion that we have is that the NBA has um, some set of coherent politics. NBA doesn't have a set of coherent politics. NBA has a goal, which is to make as much money as possible. That's its fiduciary responsibility to the ownership. Uh, and you can, you can say the same thing about any other sports business, any other brand. Nike doesn't have politics. The NBA doesn't have politics. Their goal is to make money above all. Right. And ultimately, Adam Silver's job is to grow the game globally, which he is doing, to make his players and his owners rich. Why should the commissioner of the NBA get out ahead of the president of the United States, who we once knew as the leader of the free world, who, by the way, agreed to silence any talk about the Hong Kong protest during trade talks, in a sense, making a calculation that silence when it comes to money works for the United States of America. Why should the commissioner go further than the president? Well, um, just in terms of my own political bias in this regard, um, I would say the current presidential administration's behavior uh, in terms of... Um, global geopolitical ethics is a fairly low bar to leap over. Uh, so I, I would not um, put a, um, a feather in Adam Silver's cap in that regard. Um, but again, um, you know, I think that, you know, why would Adam Silver go any further than what President Trump has done in terms of um, calling attention and, and, uh, and sort of uh, critiquing uh, mainland China's policy in Hong Kong, um, he wouldn't. Because, again, uh, it's not Adam Silver's job uh, in any way uh, to, to, to prosecute uh, political ideals around the world. Uh, it is Adam's, Adam Silver's job uh, to, to sort of make as much revenue as possible. And um, I think the irony here, again, is that the NBA has managed, particularly in the wake of the NFL's uh, strategy and behavior over the last few years, has managed to posture itself as the most woke of sports leagues. I think that's partly due to um, the relationship between labor and ownership in that league as compared to uh, the NFL in particular, but certainly other sports leagues, and the orientation of those players. Um, to me, uh, the entire saga is, is completely fascinating in the way um, that it calls attention to uh, the hypocrisy as it pertains to Colin Kaepernick. I mean, I think that the story of Colin Kaepernick yes. um, is the real story here in terms of hypocrisy. So here's my question, Michael, So, which I think is really interesting, is in reading through your story, it sounds like being progressive and uh, having all of the social causes, it sounds like you think that that's actually been more about the economics as opposed to those causes really being near and dear to the NBA's heart, whether it's selling merchandise or whatever. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Um, because I don't think a business organization has a heart. Um, I think that... Um, We've we, we are far enough along in terms of um, in terms of uh, this economic moment that we every day confuse the notion that a corporation is, in the famous words of presidential candidate Mitt Romney, a person. Um, corporations are not people. Um, the NBA is not a person. It cannot have a heart per se. It wants us to believe that it has a heart, just as Nike wants us to believe it has a heart. Um, but as you say, um, and as I try to argue in the piece. Um, there is a strategic logic behind trying to posture as a politically inclined organization. I think that the NBA saw the reaction 
to uh, Nike's use of Colin Kaepernick a year ago in their advertising and the success that they had with that, with the demographic they were hoping to court. And uh, that further buttressed what had long already been, I think, the NBA's position on allowing players to speak and encouraging um, political action in particular circumstances when it benefits the NBA. The NBA did not, I, I do not believe that the NBA lost any market share when it pulled the all-star game from North Carolina a few years ago in relationship to that state's discriminatory bathroom law. Um, I don't think the NBA lost any uh, market share when the Miami Heat came out in the aftermath of Trayvon, Mur Trayvon Martin's murder posing in hoodies. Um, quite the contrary, uh, those were political decisions that had a, uh, from the NBA's perspective, that had a good effect on the bottom line, which is above and beyond the only calculation here. I'm not saying that Adam Silver doesn't have a heart. I'm not saying that, um, you know, the ownership of the players in the NBA cannot be ethical. But as an organization, as a business entity, it is not a person. It cannot have a heart. Talk with Michael Serrazio, a columnist for the Washington Post, the author of The Power of Sports, Media and Spectacle in American Culture. Can you give us some context on just how big the NBA is in China, the world's second biggest economy and biggest population? Yeah, absolutely. So it's fascinating as you dive into some of the um, uh, some of the figures on this. Um, uh, last year, uh, it's been reported that an estimated 500 million people watched NBA programming on various platforms. Um, especially astonishingly is the fact that uh, Game 6 of the NBA Finals reportedly drew 21 million fans in China, and that's compared to 18 million uh, that watched on NBC here domestically. Um, uh, certainly, you've had tremendous popularity of the league in general and specific teams. No team has been more popular on social media and in terms of commercial sales in China than the Rockets. Uh, and this was this was quite specific, right? This has been part of a multi-decade-long strategy that the NBA has had. As part of my book, I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, David Stern on this question, and you know he talked about how very deliberately there was an effort that the NBA had. Uh, to sort of indigenize the game in China through Yao Ming. And they have done that to tremendous success. Uh, I think there's, um, there's no question that it's the most popular international sport uh, within China. And all of this actually raises the question, which I've seen a little bit of writing on in the last couple of days, which is, does the NBA need to be so obsequious in its relationship to China? In other words, could the NBA have taken uh, an even uh, harder line in terms of uh, defending and supporting uh, Maury's political position here? Because the assumption perhaps is that uh, Chinese consumers uh, would be uh, eager to not lose the NBA, even if the politics of the situation uh, that the government and the Communist Party there uh, would be disfavorable toward the NBA. Now, that's that's a calculation, and that's a gamble. That's a financial gamble that I don't think that David Stern and the league are willing to make. I, I, everything about Stern's, uh, excuse me, uh, Adam Silver's positioning to this point suggests that um, he has tried to take a much more conciliatory route uh, and try to appease and be diplomatic to all parties. But the question could be asked, does the NBA need China more than Chinese uh, audiences need the NBA? And I think that's an open question. Last one, I think, for me, Michael, is you, you've argued a lot about the NBA itself as an entity, right? And, and I get that. But what about, like, Steve Kerr? Or what about Maury deleting the tweet? Like, it's one thing if it's the NBA and their best interest is China and the business and part of it. But I guess then the part of it that's hypocritical to me is people like Maury or Steve Kerr or whoever that otherwise are always outspoken on any social justice interview seemingly now being quiet because this social justice issue is very, very lucrative for their respective franchises. Even if you separate the NBA part of it and just look at the individuals, that part of it smells like hypocrisy to me. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I would say in particular, um, um, uh, perhaps even more so than, say, Steve Kerr or Daryl Morey, uh, someone like uh, James Harden, who has not arguably, I think, in the sort of popular imagination, been the face of uh, the progressive uh, NBA. I don't think he has necessarily been the face of the Black Lives Matter movement in quite the same way that you would say uh, Derek Rose has been, LeBron James has been, um, uh, uh, you know, Chris Paul, I'm thinking of the, the folks who spoke out at the ESPYs a few years ago. Um, so James Harden hasn't, I think, put himself in that category quite as much. Uh, but uh, certainly, I think it's fair to point out that individuals who previously took passionate political stands on behalf of progressive issues here in the U.S., certainly Steve Kerr. Um, I'm, I'd be curious. I haven't seen what Greg Popovich, Greg Popovich has said about this kerfuffle yet, but I would be curious because he has been someone who has been pretty outspoken and authentic about his um, his politics over time. Um, I think it is fair to to call out the hypocrisy in that regard. I, I would just add one other thing slightly, slightly related to what you were talking about in terms of um, personal hypocrisy. Um, I cannot stress how um, surprising and hypocritical it seems for U.S. politicians to chastise the NBA about um, not supporting uh, the free speech of their of of one of their um, of one of their uh, you know executive figures uh, after uh, many of these same politicians did not want to afford uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, those same um, those same uh, uh, rights and affordances uh, for several years uh, since he's been blackballed. So I, it, I, I just find the hypocrisy there especially amusing to see uh, Senators Ted Cruz, Senators Marco Rubio come out uh, guns a-blazing on behalf of the free speech of Daryl Morey, uh, which I'm yeah. sure uh, will come as a surprise uh, to uh, Colin Kaepernick, who is uh, similarly trying to exercise his free speech domestically. Josh Hawley, Ben Sass, a lot of the same people on Twitter that criticize Kaepernick are the same people who are speaking out against the NBA just to agree with the hypocrisy. You, you asked about Popovich. He didn't speak about the the really the substance of the tweet, he backed up the leadership of Silver. Compared to what we've had to live through the last three years, there's a big difference between the leadership and the courage of Adam Silver. And he didn't say the president, but it was clear what he was talking about. All right, uh, last question from me, and we're talking with Michael Serrazio from Boston College, Washington Post. How do you see this playing out between the NBA and, the chi and China? And What's next? Will Major League Baseball have to rethink their relationship? Will the NFL have to rethink their game that they're talking about in 2020? And should the IOC start to rethink the 2022 Olympics? Will this spread to other sports? Boy, it's a great question. And honestly, I think anybody who uh, who tells you that they uh, they have a good answer for what happens next uh, with regard to this controversy uh, is is just plain lying, because um, I don't think any of us could have predicted uh, five days ago uh, that uh, a 39 character tweet uh, from uh not an obscure NBA figure, but let's face it. I mean, you know, it, it's, it wasn't a player. It was, you know, it was an executive sure. who, you know, who, who cuts somewhat of a profile, but you know, it's, it's not, this was not LeBron James. Uh, this was not Steph Curry coming out uh, and, and dropping a tweet like this. Um, I don't think anybody could have predicted that uh, this drama would unfold. So um, how this plays out specific to the NBA in China, <clears throat> my sense will be um, if, uh, if, if, if Silver is able to, in the back rooms of Beijing and Shanghai, uh, to mollify some of the, uh, you know, sort of uh, agitation there, that um, they're able to, to, to possibly move past this as, as, as just a, a crisis that they damaged controlled as best as possible. Um, you know, I, I don't think any permanent decision, all, all, the, all the things that I've read in terms of uh, you know, the, me the Chinese media and sort of Chinese sponsorship reacting to this has been, as I've understood it in the reporting, uh, somewhat temporary. I, I don't see uh, anything permanent having been laid out. And some of that may also have to do with the fluidity of the situation in Hong Kong itself, which I don't think uh, at this point, um, even 
much more astute geopolitical observers than I, of which the world is filled with them, have any uh, probably good read on how exactly this plays out in terms of the actual politics in in Hong Kong. Um, How will other leagues um, deal with this going forward? It's going to be tricky. Um, My own sense is that when it comes to politics, uh, and this sports and politics is something that I'm spending my career focusing on, when it comes to sports and politics, most of the time we're talking about domestic issues. Um, I don't think there are, there have been, and I don't think there will be in the future, that many instances of athletes, superstar sports figures speaking out about geopolitical conflagrations. Um, I don't see Major League Baseball, this, this, you know, uh, or you know, the the, N- the NFL, any other league, um, having to navigate some player. Uh, taking a stance about Russia's in, invasion of Crimea. Uh, I, I don't see uh, a lot of players uh, coming out one way or another in support of uh, Roberto Maduro's regime in, in Venezuela. I just don't think that the political imagination of athletes tends to extend uh, into international relations affairs. Uh, it could change. Mm-hmm. It certainly could, could, certainly could change. So in that sense, I, I think this will be a speed bump more so than the beginning of a dramatic shift in terms of sports and politics. But again, I say that with all of the epistemological modesty in the world, because I don't think we really have a sense of where this is going to go. I will tell you, I I agree with you, save for this. As long as there are shows like this one and thousands of media members around this country, the questions will now come. LeBron James will have to weigh in. The Rams and 49ers will certainly be asked the questions about human rights and Chinese treatment of the Uyghurs and so on and so forth. And somebody will make a massive protest from the United States during those 2022 Olympics, and it will force a major reckoning. It will be an interesting story to follow. You're going to have another book, I'm sure, on the way. But this one, check it out. It is called The Power of Sports, Media and Spectacle in American Culture. Michael Serrazio, great pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thank you so much, David Ross. I really appreciate it, and I've enjoyed the conversation. Very interesting conversation. Go BC Eagles, my wife's alma mater. All right, this is a heavy show day for us. We often talk a lot of chicken sandwiches and beer and soda, but we got another heavy story, and this one from your backyard in Penn State University in college football. Uh, Penn State running back C.J. Holmes just shared a letter on social media that was written to Jonathan Sutherland, his teammate, Penn State Nittany Lions, a letter that Sutherland received that real, really sounded racist. You decide. This fan, an alumni of Penn State, well, Dave, wrote, Dave, watching... hold on a second. Yeah. Dave, yeah. Two, for, first of all, before you dive too far in, okay, number one, I, I didn't want to forget this since we lost Michael. Later on the show, if you want me to, I will pontificate on Russia and Crimea. Um, If you want me to also talk about the conflagration of the epistemology and the other words he said, I will also (laughs) chime in on the conflagration. I'm not sure the other dude name. um, Who was the one guy he said? It was a long conversation. Uh, which guy, I, I don't know. I, I'd like to hear you weigh in on Turkey and Syria as well. Could you go there for us? Yes. Um, no. I love Erdogan. Turkey. I don't like Turkey with cereal on it. <laughs> I love Turkey. Turkey cereal, though, is gross. I would never eat Turkey cereal. But Turkey's great, and I can see having Turkey as a meal and some type of cereal, Lucky Charms perhaps, next to it. I can chime in on all these things, but I want to chime in on the Penn State stuff when we come back here. It's home at home, a radio.com sports original. College football fans like to be heard. Sometimes it's in chat rooms. Sometimes it's on Twitter or Instagram or at the game screaming from the stands. And other times they even write letters. And sometimes those letters go way too far. That's the case with Penn State Running back C.J. Holmes shared a letter on social media written to his teammate Jonathan Sutherland, another Penn State Nittany Lion. This letter from a 1966 alum by the name of Dave Peterson addressed Sutherland's hair. You see, he doesn't 
like Sutherland's dreadlocks. And so he wrote that player to tell him why, writing, watching the Idaho game on TV, we couldn't help but notice your, well, awful hair. Surely there must be mirrors in the locker room. Don't you have parents or a girlfriend who told you these shoulder-length dreadlocks look disgusting <coughs> and are certainly not attractive? Ross, racist or just stupid? Um, I don't... I didn't look at it as racist. I looked at it as old, if that makes sense. And perhaps that's not fair because there are plenty of people Peterson's age that are smart enough to not say something like that, even if how, that's how they feel. So maybe the answer is stupid. I, but I think he was genuinely commenting on not like he he does not like the appearance of dreadlocks or tattoos and while you won't see very many white players with dreadlocks there's white guys with tattoos all over every sport nba nfl college football and so my guess is he doesn't like the white guys for penn state on the offensive line or wherever that have tattoos you have to understand just as a way of background you know, when Joe Paterno was the coach at Penn State, forever there was no long hair allowed, no earrings, no facial hair. That was kind of the Penn State way. That was what people liked. And so, by the way, I have no idea, you know, whether Penn State was really better than other schools in that regard in terms of the Penn State way and academics and doing things the right way. I don't know. But I do know that that was what was uh, the narrative and the belief throughout the state my whole life growing up was that Penn State did it differently. Penn State did it better. They weren't, quote unquote, thugs. They didn't cheat and pay the players. They found good guys that want to do it the right way and wanted to go to college and play hard and get a good degree and all that. Now, I don't know, Dave, how different they really were. Everybody else. I do know this. They legitimately did not have earrings, did not have long hair and did not, did not have facial hair. I can't remember tattoos back then, but tattoos weren't as popular. I also thought it was interesting. As soon as you got there as a true freshman, you called him Joe Paterno. He said, you're an adult now. You're 18, you're in college, call me Joe. We're, you're a fellow adult. So I thought that was interesting. So I think Peterson comes from a place of admiration for the long-held Penn State way and obviously strong beliefs regarding not having an affinity for tattoos or dreadlocks. But I think if truth be told, Dave, I think there's a lot of people over 70 years of age, heck, over 50 years of age that don't really care for dreadlocks or long hair, as that case might be. Forget even dreadlocks, because that brings a racial component. Long hair, earrings, tattoos, no matter what race you are. I, I have to draw a clear distinction between tattoos and dreadlocks. I do think that the comments were addressed to dreadlocks, which is racist. Whether he knows it or not, I think a lot of people of that age are unintentionally racist, and that may be the case. I don't know Dave Peterson. He is unintentionally racist in this case. He might have been intentional. That's not what he told the Johnstown Tribune Democrat. They tracked him down. And he maintained that he did not want to make a racial or cultural statement. He said, I would just like to see the coaches get the guys cleaned up and not look like Florida State and Miami guys. Again, I don't know Dave Peterson. I know that sounds racist to me, judging by what we have come to expect from Miami and Florida State. Should that Penn State player, C.J. Holmes, have shared that letter? What is accomplished by putting that on social media? Ooh, that's an interesting question, Dave. That's an interesting question. And my guess is that James Franklin, Penn State's head coach, who, by the way, I felt like spoke very eloquently about one of the things that makes football and team sports so cool is that 
you're in a locker room with guys from all over the country, certainly in the NFL, very different backgrounds, different religions, different races, and yet you all come together for a common goal and you sacrifice for each other, frankly, the way society should be, the, the way politics should be, the way we all should be. It shouldn't be about what race you are, what religion, or what your hair's like, or what kind of tattoos you have. It should be about all of us having the common goal of the common good. So I love that about football. I love that about being in a locker room. That's an interesting question about whether or not C.J. Holmes should, should have done that. My guess is that James Franklin probably realizes there's no real positive to come out of this and that he probably shouldn't have shared it. But are they going to censor the fan mail that comes in? And by the way, I, I can't imagine that this is the only player that's ever gotten anything like this. My guess is Sutherland wasn't happy about it. He showed C.J. Holmes as well as Antonio Shelton, and they felt like it was racist, and they put it on social media because it's 2019, and they wanted to shine a light on a guy that they felt like was being racist. I guess I would just say, Dave, the older people are, the, the more closely held beliefs they have from back in the day. Like, I, I, I don't think my grandfather was racist, Dave, but I can see him saying something like this. I can see him not liking the tattoos and earrings and long hair. And again, Florida State and Miami both have plenty of white guys on their team. So I don't, I don't know if it's racist as much as the visual. You know, I, I think people, I, I know people um, that in my life that they don't like, one of the reasons they don't like the NBA is all the tattoos and there's the white guys have as many tattoos as the black guys in the NBA. I would agree. I, I don't see the sense of sharing this letter. I, I, I would not. I don't see what's accomplished by it. But again, these are the types of things that go viral, that get you a lot of followers. This is how social media works today. So in that vein, it makes a lot of sense. We both agree that James Franklin scored on this, man. The words are incredible. Teams all over this country are the purest form of humanity we have. We don't judge. We embrace differences. We live. We learn. We grow. We support and we defend each other. We're a family that's a man that can inspire a locker room. And if he wants to have a future in politics, it is there for James Franklin. No surprise, his team kills for him. And that's a very good football team, by the way. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back in the 10 o'clock hour, a very interesting and again, heavy guest. It is a heavy hump day here. We're going to talk to Daniel Castro, who wrote a very intriguing article about David Ortiz, how he was shot in the Dominican, how no one would talk to Daniel Castro. There was a lot of theories about what happened. He will weigh in on all of them. Very interesting reporting on Big Poppy after a quick break. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t -Mobile .com. 